I have this like itinerary of flights in my hand and I'm like I don't have the faintest clue about what's ahead of me she's kind of getting more invasive and she's like why are you here who are you visiting do you know anyone in the country if you were to drive a Palestinian car like onto an Israeli road you would just get shot there's no ignoring politics there it's everywhere from like what you eat to what you wear to like where you work where you go to school what car you drive if you get shot or not like it's it's a pretty insane place hello and welcome to our new podcast titled seven days in palestine I'm your host, Jason, and before we get into the podcast, I'd first like to introduce you to Billy, whose experiences are the main focus of this podcast. Hi, my name is Billy, and last summer, I spent seven days in Palestine. Today, we're going to talk about day one. So, before we get into the main subject matter of this podcast, we'd first like to talk a bit about who we are and why we want to do this podcast. Well, I'm a university student, born and raised in Ireland. I study development, specifically the contrasting stages of development between the global north and the global south. Last summer, I went on a seven-day trip to Palestine, and I think the biggest takeaway I had from that trip is that it's not a strange and dangerous place as a lot of like media depicts it, but it's more a normal place where abnormal things occur. Why I want to do this documentary is because I kind of want to show the majority of the people who surround me, which would be the typical Europeans or like Irish people who often don't know a lot about the Middle East or like the Israeli-Palestine conflict, just how similar these people are to us and why we should care about their struggle. What about you, Jason? Who are you and why do you want to do this podcast? Hi, my name is Jason. I am a university student studying film. And the main reason I kind of want to do this podcast is mostly I am interested in international events and the developing world, but it's definitely not my expertise. Like I'm much more into like fiction film. A lot of the stuff I'm writing at the moment, it's all like fiction. Uh, so I don't really work in the real world as much. I almost, I almost like just stay in my own room and write things. And like that stuff is interesting, but getting a view of the real world and like different places that I haven't been and seeing what they're like is always something I found fascinating so I love travel so I find it quite interesting to hear about places in the world that I've never been and possibly never will be so one of the main reasons I wanted to do the podcast was because I wanted to share the experiences of Billy and see what he kind of went through and try to get a better understanding about his mindset about why he wants to work in the field that he does why his experiences in Palestine led him to even have a stronger sense of belief that he's going down the right path uh just adding a little footnote there for all the listeners it's that um we've actually been friends for a very long time uh we grew up in the same place with the same group of friends but we just kind of took very different paths in life and it's it's really interesting now that we're colliding again to work on something i think that it's we're quite different personalities so i think that those two personalities could create something quite good give the listener kind of a different perspective about the different things that went on give a bit of context to the the craziness of the situation i suppose yeah there are certainly things that i would consider normal now that you were like what the hell yeah like how like how could you think that's normal at all that's just that's completely because because 
over here we live such i think comfortable lives especially myself like i don't really i do challenge myself but in like probably creative ways more than personal ways i do try to challenge myself to travel and experience new cultures but never in the ways that billy did with his seven days in palestine and then on the contrast of that i think that it was essentially a holiday with just some extra sightseeing i guess (laughs) but yeah we'll get into that So now that we've discussed our reasons for wanting to do the podcast, I think it's about time that we get into seven days in Palestine. So I think we should start at the beginning. How did you first decide to travel to Palestine? So essentially the plan to visit Palestine started when a friend from college, Tammy, she invited me to visit her on her placement because we have a placement in third year where we um, we go to work for either three to six months in a developing country. In her case, it had to be three months end to end because of the way that the Israeli government like controls these in the occupied territories of Palestine. So essentially, we, we had this running joke that I was always going to visit her on her placement. And one day I was just messaging her, asking how it was going. And she said, are you visiting or not? Pretty much. She kind of called my bluff. And I realized that the flights were pretty cheap. I had enough money because I had been working all summer. And I just kind of booked the flights on the spur of the moment. Maybe flash forward to like a week or two later. And I'm leaving rural Ireland for Dublin. And... I have this like itinerary of flights in my hand and I'm like, I don't have the faintest clue about what's ahead of me. If anyone's been to the Dublin airport, Terminal 1, there's a McDonald's upstairs and I literally had a panic attack there. I went out through departures and I got on a flight to Athens and (laughs) almost like foreshadowing about halfway to Athens, just as we were over Croatia, the plane hit a freaking lightning storm and it's never, I've never been in a plane so likely to go down in my entire life i was properly scared for like a flying for the first time ever and that wasn't like the only foreshadowing me as well as i landed in athens i was literally there for like two hours i grabbed like a slice of pizza before like heading to my gate and on the news like around a similar time like these wildfires were like popping up outside of athens which like later would become a much bigger issue like during the trip but obviously like i wasn't there anymore so So I land, and I went, well, no, as I was going to my gate in Athens, I have to go through this, like, so I've got to, I've obviously got to go through, like, Greek security, which is fine. And then as I get to my gate, there's another round of security, and they're all speaking Hebrew, like, everyone. And I realize that this isn't Greek security, this is Israeli security, because they control the gates to Tel Aviv from the outer airports which is something I had never seen before. And it's my first encounter with treating other people differently because of, like, where they're from or, like, their ethnicity, like, occurs there. There's this, like, Palestinian family who have paid to have their bags on the flight, like, carry-on bags. And the security there are just insisting that because they're Arabic, their bags have got to go in the hold. And, like, this is a man and a woman with, like, three small kids there could have been anything in those bags and the security didn't care like there could have been medicine or diapers or anything like it was just it was really intense and it was it was the fact that they were so willing to help everyone else and they were so strict with this family this arabic family it just really like i couldn't even like understand what was going on because i'd never experienced something like that before well 
that changed as <laughs> the the seven days go on, obviously, because it's something that kind of occurred in Palestine a lot. So I get on my flight. Um, there's no real issues. Being a white Western male, they had no problem with me until I landed in Tel Aviv. So I land in Ben Gurwin Airport and I'm off the flight maybe like anywhere between 30 seconds and two minutes. I, I've been off the flight and I'm pulled by a, females, uh, a female soldier and she starts questioning me about like normal enough stuff like first like where am I coming from where am I going and then she's kind of getting more invasive and she's like why are you here who are you visiting do you know anyone in the country and they kind of seem like normal questions but she's asking them in such an aggressive manner that I get absolutely freaked out and she ends up giving me like a proper grilling simply because I was nervous because of getting asked all these questions. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because it's not like we'd ever experienced anything like that before, like any of us. As if anyone yeah. has ever been to an Irish airport, the security is like, how are you lad? And that's it. Yeah, they just let you in. Like. <laughs> they don't even check passports. Yeah, they're, they're just great. But it, like, Ben Gurwin was something else. Like, it actually was. And that was even before I got to the, like, the infamous interview booths, I think they're called. Basically, it's internal immigration. Basically, everyone who is not a Israeli citizen has to go through these this interview process where you kind of step up one by one to these booths and they just ask you a series of invasive questions about your plans, about who you are, like your ties to like various organizations and stuff like that. And it's just, it was seriously invasive. And it was for someone who had been traveling for... Like, I left, I left Dublin late, like, maybe 10 o'clock, um, and I arrived in Tel Aviv at 9 that morning. So I had been traveling a long time, and they were, they didn't care. <laughs> there was a lot of questioning, which is probably something that I should go into more detail with, but it's kind of more relevant for my last day, because we got an even more intense grilling on the last day. How long did the interview take place for? Maybe... Man, it felt like a lifetime, but anywhere between like 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, okay. But they do that for every single person. Yeah. And the soldier had had me for an equally long number of time. So you had about probably half an hour to 40 minutes of like intense questioning. Yeah. After like basically 12 to 15 hours of traveling. Also, it's something that like probably doesn't make like it's not a big deal to like most of the people from mainland Europe or like especially America. But... In Ireland, like, guns do not exist. Like, the guards don't have guns, like, or, like, or police force don't have guns. Mm -hmm. So, to see these soldiers with, like, I, I, I'm going to say AR-15s, basically they're, like, assault rifles. I don't know what brand they are or anything like that, but they look like they could mow me down. Well, like, in military grade. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah. In an airport. Well, like, you, you would see them sometimes in, like, say, uh, UK airports. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them in Manchester airport a few times, and, but, like, it never... It doesn't ever seem like there's danger, if you get me. Like, it's it, they have the machine guns, but it's almost like a deterrent more than a, a threat. So did it feel more like this a threat was to you? This was a threatening. Yeah. This was not a deterrent. This was like, we don't have safeties on these rifles kind of kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a real... I've never felt... Like, airports are often very safe places. I've never felt such unease. Like, ever. And then, after all that, I am... I'm allowed in. I get my visa um, for what is... I'm allowed three months, but I, I'm only planning to stay a week. So I get out through immigration, and I go to a cash machine that I don't understand the language in, and I take out the amount of money that I kind of thought I needed. And I had booked uh, a taxi... Uh, like, Tammy had booked a taxi for me, which is, like, 
incredibly difficult to get a taxi from Ben Gurren to Bethlehem where I was going. So we had to get like a private driver that she knew. And so he was a Palestinian driver, but he has to have Israeli plates because Palestinians, unless they're residents of Jerusalem, aren't allowed or hold Israeli citizenship, are not allowed to drive in Israel. Drive at all? No. So like even just like, just not at all? Like not at all. Like Unless so you have plates. Yeah. So did he hold citizenship? I, I'm actually not sure. I think he was, I think he lived in Jerusalem. Okay, so he maybe had like a work permit or something like that yeah. to work. Okay. Yeah, so like he, his car had Israeli plates, yeah. but he was Palestinian, okay. which is like, so it was pretty rare. But yeah, like, like, it's not like these plates work here, these plates don't work here. Israeli plates can go wherever they want. Palestinian plates have to stay in like the occupied territories. And there's like, if you were to drive a Palestinian car like onto an Israeli road, you would just get shot. Like end of. Your car would be like riddled. That's a crazy situation. Yeah, it actually is. Did you feel a bit on edge in the taxi at all? Or did, did the guy kind of make you feel a bit Man, more comfortable? He was the nicest guy ever. We actually had an awkward moment because I was so used to obviously driving on with a right handed car that this so they drive on the other side of the road with left handed cars. So he looked at me pretty strange when I pulled open the driver's door. He was like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> but it was fine. But yeah, he was really nice. Um, we had a really interesting conversation about like how he feels about like the conflict, which is insane because like he did, he had met me for all of five minutes and we were already talking politics. Mm-hmm. And it, that like kind of foreshadowed a lot of my trip as well because for such a friendly group of people, it's it's insane how political you have to be because their entire lives are political. Their lives hang in a political balance. There's no ignoring politics there. It's everywhere. From like what you eat to what you wear to like where you work, where you go to school, what car you drive, if you get shot or not. Like it's it's a pretty insane place. But everyone working there is entirely normal. It's it it feels like a what's the word like a paradox like it shouldn't work yeah I, I, um, know what I mean but it just does somehow what were his thoughts on the conflict though overall that well he was he was very like like a lot of the other Palestinians I met where he was sick of the violence he was just done with the violence because there is a lot of violence from both sides but he also like even if the violence were us to stop Israel wouldn't stop it's it's ever expanding and it's ever like they're trying to build their their state and it just so happens that to do that they're trying incredibly hard to destroy another state so when you're a citizen of that other state it's hard it's hard to accept that you can't defend yourself yeah because it's not it's not technically it's a, a war it's a it's an occupation yeah so it's 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 like the rules of engagement don't really apply like, yeah, yeah so if you if you if you do fight back you're branded a terrorist or yeah so it's 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 difficult for people like that to to not feel like second class citizens, I suppose. Mm. And I think the strangest thing was that he had simply accepted that he was a second a second class citizen. The amount of time that it would take to break someone down to that level where they like almost just accept the fact that they're like that is like kind of crazy. I don't think it happens in a single generation. Yeah. Oh no, it's multi generational, hundred yeah. percent. Like even just you know, I couldn't imagine like one day that thing just starting and an entire group of people just being like oh yeah this is fine yeah it's like it must be some it must be learned behavior almost yeah. so it's like it must be systemic like yeah definitely yeah and it's you see that in in every 
like oppressive thing that the that the IDF, so the Israeli Defense Force, does. It's it's like oppression tactics. It's encouraging a change in behavior so that you essentially become like what's the opposite of dominant? Uh, submissive. Submissive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's a very like submissive place. And one of the like one of the things we actually had to do at the end of that at the, actually at the start of the journey and at the end is we had to pass through two checkpoints. So like the car was searched and like even with Israeli plates the car was searched. Mm-hmm. And and as you enter the Palestinian territory, there's just these great blue signs with white right with like red writing, sorry, that say that entering Palestine is illegal for Israeli citizenship. For Israeli citizens if you enter Palestine, you can be prosecuted. Obviously, it's not something that the Israeli government would ever do, but it's just to encourage a kind of like that them versus us yeah, mentality. Yeah, mentality. Yeah. yeah. That is a, a really um, popular tactic when it comes to governments that yeah, yeah promote that kind of thing. You, mm-hmm. you can see that type of behavior in like a lot of societies through history that have done bad things to yeah. other groups of people. So that, that's actually quite interesting that even they're doing it yeah and it's like it's just kind of accepted so mm-hmm. it just it just it, it kind of just proves to me in a sense like what i've heard so far that the world really hasn't changed that much it's just it comes in different forms yeah the type of behavior that's been happening mm-hmm. in the last hundred couple hundred years and it's a great image that i was actually i was thinking of like photography when i when i saw it was as you as you leave israeli terror the israeli tarmac road uh, and you cross into the like the palestinian territories you're flanked on either side by these jeeps with like machine guns on them but beyond those two jeeps is like dirt road there is n- almost no infrastructure because obviously th- the government doesn't care about palestine in palestine is yeah it? Okay. exactly yeah. yeah so you're almost like it's almost like the pavement changes oh that's exactly like, what happens entirely, yeah. yeah so it's like a uh, wrong side of the tracks almost type yeah thing. and it's crazy that it's literally just down the road and yeah th- there's such a significant change straight away mm-hmm. so like say what was your feeling kind of or what was like your first kind of thought first driving through israel about like the infrastructure and like how developed it was as a country it was literally just how modern it was it literally it looked like any western state obviously i hadn't seen anything else at that point so it just looked modern like the people look happy agriculture seems to be freaking booming when people say that it's the holy land i could really see yeah i could see what they mean it's like when you imagine the garden of eden set in a world it's there. So what What then, how then did that compare to Palestine? So basically, as we were like driving through Palestine, the only thing that's like really evident, for one thing is that like most of the shops are closed and they pretty much have like no intention of ever opening again. And you see that the buildings are like, they're old and they have not changed much in like maybe 20 years. It literally looks like this sorry just uh, just for like clarity this is just outside Bethlehem this is Beit Sohor that's where I was staying it's like a it's weird it's considered a village but in Ireland it would be a massive city just because of like the number of people there and like the like the way that the place is constructed like it's a sprawl but that's kind of way the way Palestine is like it's you you kind of can see like the separation between the big major cities but there's all these villages on the outside that like are still considered villages, but they connect the main city to make it one massive thing. It's almost like in Amsterdam, the way that there's four major cities are just one big metropolitan area. Like Palestine is very similar to that. 
And the only the, another thing that I noticed as well is it is hilly of all hell. Like as someone who drives in Ireland, Irish cars would not drive in Palestine. It's just not possible. To get to the place that I was staying is with the family that I'm staying in. Essentially, I I stayed on Tammy's floor on like a blow up mattress, and she was living with a Palestinian family who just like worked in the area and were just pretty much sound enough to let her stay there while she was working there for the three months. But to get to her, their house is, I would say, a 70 degree hill. Like, I walked down that thing one night and it was impossible. Like, I don't actually think we could have climbed back up the hill if it wasn't for the car that we drove back in. It made no sense. But it, it just kind of, it shows you that there's a desperation there for land. And that's another kind of theme that, like, echoes through my entire trip that like land is not something to be like observed like it is in Ireland it's like something to be used and it's certainly a resource like if there was an inch of square foot it was used but yeah I arrived at Tammy's I pay the taxi guy he's pretty sound he gives us his number one if we ever need a taxi and two if we ever want to go drinking which is pretty nice which we actually take take him up on um on one of our last days and I meet Tammy, who I haven't seen in about two and a half months. And not to be mean, but she looked worse for wear. Not physically, but like emotionally. Mm. You can kind of see that being here has an emotional toll. And like it is something I had experienced for all of like a few hours. And you could see the difference with that like an extended period of time here does to you. But she was in good form. And it was really nice to see her. And it was really nice to catch up, but I needed to sleep. So that's exactly what I did. When we went up, when when I got up after like my nap, we decided our kind of itinerary for the next week. And we decided that we were going to go to Bethlehem uh, that night just to, well, I say that night, it was like 11 a.m. So it was like we, we headed into Bethlehem at like maybe three o'clock. But I think we're going to cover that in kind of day two because it's been long enough talking. So yeah. I think I'm looking forward to talking more about this. So that's it for day one of our seven days in Palestine. Join us next time for Bobby's trip to Bethlehem, a dangerous encounter in Ida camp and some tragic news.